Let's turn over to Romans chapter 11. We're going to start a new series tonight on Father's Day. On the spirit of revival. Christian didn't know what we were going to be preaching on, but he had a word, and so I love how it works. Let's just ask the Lord again. Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, we love you. God, I'm so thankful we get to do what we do with you rather than trying to pull it off without you. So, Lord, I'm asking you to do what you love to do. Magnify your son. Send your spirit to glorify the name, the man Christ. Lord, that our hearts would fall more in love with him again. That we would absolutely be shocked by the reality of who you are. God, I pray you'd stir us. You would stir us and release to us revelation tonight on this thing called revival that you have destined your people for. Lord, I'm asking that you would come and rest upon us. I pray for divine attentiveness by your spirit. I pray that we would be impacted in soul by the word of the Lord. So come. Come and release your presence. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. I think I've got about three messages up here, so I'll pick one of them in a minute. Hopefully land on one. Um, I um, probably, in the time that I've been in the ministry, have spent more time uh, praying and preaching on this issue of revival than anything else. Um, I remember the, the first time they cut me loose to preach to a group of adults. I think I was 23 years old. And I remember talking about how I wanted revival. And, and I remember when we were moving um, to Kansas City and, and we were digging through some old things. I found this old tape of me. And I'm preaching about revival. And I'm 23. I sound like I'm about 14 and it's just funny, and just exci- I'm excited. That's about it. I mean, <laughs> lots of excitement. I don't even think I used a, a Bible verse, but <laughs> lots of excitement. And uh, I just this this issue has has uh, continually grabbed my heart over and over over the years. I can't get away from it, and I remember. Um, you know, around 1996, um, there, the Toronto uh, Move of the Spirit had happened in, in 94, and I remember um, talking to friends, and, and they'd, they'd really gotten um, touched by the renewal that had been released in Toronto, and, and, um, and then uh, I remember in 1996, I had come to the, kind of the end of myself in ministry. I had a, a large youth group percentage-wise... But uh, our youth group was, I mean, they were not really serving the Lord. We had lots of numbers and a little bit of Jesus. And um, I can remember different times when I was actually preaching, and the the students would actually, like, talk back to me, like, negatively, like, while I was preaching. And, I mean, just, I remember just getting mad, you know, and just 
totally losing the spirit right there, right there in the middle and just getting in an argument at different times with different students as they, I mean, just sort of assail me, you know, while I'm, while I'm speaking. And um, I remember in 96, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, uh, unless you do something, you obviously have someone else in mind to do this ministry because I don't have it going on. And, and I remember there, a couple of guys had been wrestling out in the hallway while we were trying to do a youth meeting and we'd moved into a new building and one of the guys threw another guy through a wall. And um, it was just bad times. <laughs> just like nothing was going well. And I remember telling the Lord, I said, if, uh, if something doesn't change, I, I'm not the guy. I'll, I'll take a hint. And I'll go sell cars or something. I'll do something else, you know, because I'm obviously not cut out for this. And there towards the end of 1996, I remember the Lord called me to a short fast. I did a five-day fast. And I remember at the end of that fast, I said, uh, you know, it was a great time. I remember it was just a great time it was the first time I'd ever fasted more than like a a day or two and it was just a really awesome time with the Lord but I remember at the end of that fast I remember telling the Lord you didn't do anything I fasted five full days I mean I've I've been like for real hunger striking down here and you did nothing and um because I I didn't know anything about it I just knew if I if I don't eat God's supposed to do stuff and uh it was sweet I had a sweet time with the Lord and uh, he, I remember he said, go up in your room and write. I go, what am I going to write? You haven't said anything. I don't know anything. Right. He goes, go up in your room and write. And I remember I got open my little book and, and began to write. And uh, I began to uh, describe uh, a revival that was to come. And it, it, the idea, and it's four or five pages, but the idea of this revival, and I didn't know anything about night and day prayer. I just read it a few uh, weeks ago again. But it talks about um, day and night prayer, and it talks about millions getting swept into the kingdom, and uh, it talks about major cities where a million plus would be born again in, in cities, and that there would be centers, and I didn't use the term, I, I would use this term now, I'd call them apostolic centers, where all five of the fivefold ministry gifts were, would be working together in concert uh, uh, in, in one place, and you'd have... Um, you know, pastors and teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists all together. And it was in, all under the banner of uh, night and day prayer. I said it wouldn't be people that just had uh, good prayer times. It would be people that were given to intercession all day and all night. And I remember looking at that just a month ago going, wow, this is awesome. And the, the, to the hallmark, which is so funny because it wasn't even on my mind back then, was love and humility. I said it would, it would be in totally uh, a people who give themselves to humility, I'd say meekness today, and the, the core issue will be love. And I, rem- I read this just a, a, few, a, a month ago or something, and I was really like surprised, like, wow, that was a good word. And um, from that moment, I got gripped over this issue of revival. And, and if uh, you're familiar, the Brownsville revival had been going about a year, uh, a year and a half at that time. And um, it was on Father's Day, 12 years ago, that the Lord descended on that place, that Assembly of God Church there uh, just outside of Pensacola. Uh, you know, it was just an average church. I, I've, got, I've come to know some of the guys that were leaders there. 
And it was just an average kind of AG church, but they'd been praying for revival. But they thought revival was a series of good meetings. You know, maybe they would have a couple weeks of good meetings and it would sort of, sort of bolster crowds and bolster finances and give everybody a good, you know, shot in the arm. And instead, they bring in an evangelist. If you don't know the story, I mean, many of you probably do, but I'm just going to tell it for everybody on the same page to get everybody on the same page. They bring in an evangelist, and they have a morning Father's Day kind of just going to have a normal Father's Day sort of a meeting. The pastor um, has had a, like a death in his family, so he doesn't want to speak, so he brings in this, this uh, guest speaker. Well, this guest speaker has gotten rocked at a church in England uh, just a few months prior, and every time now he speaks, the power of God is blowing uh, meetings up everywhere he goes and people are getting slain in the spirit and hundreds are getting saved in his ministry and so his name is Steve Hill and so Steve Hill comes and speaks at Brownsville on uh, Father's Day 1995 and the power of God hits this assembly of God church and for five years they they go uh, starts off they're going seven nights a week they pull it back to um, four nights a week with an intercession meeting so it's five with a prayer meeting and uh, they end up with multiple millions of visitors through there in five years. And it, it touches their city. It touches the nations. And uh, it, I mean, it really shocks so many things in the system, in the body of Christ. It, you know, you think uh, when God comes in revival, automatically everybody's going to get on board. But when God comes in revival, when God comes with his presence... It absolutely brings a collision, and a dividing line is cut. And, you know, many will jump on this side and go, man, God's here. And then many will jump on the other side and go, that's not how we planned, and that's not God. And this, this move of the Spirit that happened in Brownsville in 95, it shocked our system. And I don't mean just us. I'm talking about the church uh, internationally. And uh, they end up with um, literally hundreds of thousands of converts uh, through their local church. And in their, in their uh, hottest times, they would have 7,000 a night meeting, and, and they, only, they only sat like 1,800, so they had to have big tents all over their campus and overflow rooms. And they would have 7,000 a night meeting every single night. And, and the, the Lord would come in, and the power of God would be released. It was, it was some of the most intense meetings I've ever been in my life. How many, how many actually went to uh, some meetings at Brownsville? Let me just see your hands. So look at this. Now, if you've never been to that meeting, put your hand down. If you've never been to a Brownsville meeting, lift your hand. That's just amazing. How many's never heard of the Brownsville revival? Just raise your hand. So most have heard of it. Okay, but several haven't. Okay. That's interesting. So we're 12 years away from that. We're 12 years removed from it now. And around 2000, things started to shift there. And the phenomenon, and when I'm talking about revival, I'm talking about a phenomenon of God. I'm not talking about a special effort by people. I'm talking about a supernatural phenomenon in which God invades. And so around 2000, the phenomenon began to lift there in Brownsville. And they continue to have wonderful meetings and conferences even still now. But uh, there is a phenomenon of revival that is uh, biblically established biblically soundly established and has got massive historical precedent and what i mean is this there's a theology that the bible gives us about revival 
And we have, through church history, I mean, example after example after example after example of when God has come and fully invaded uh, not just a, a, a church, but taken over entire cities. And in, in, some, in some cases, he's taken over entire geographic areas. And um, after that little season of fasting and prayer in 1996... I, uh, I got gripped over this issue of revival. In fact, most of my um, orientation and my approach to Christianity shifted because I was so branded with this truth that God is going to move in an in a unprecedented revival that is unmatched uh, in any of the historical things we've ever seen. And I was very convinced, though Brownsville was blowing up at that time. I mean, thousands, and I mean, literally hundreds of thousands of visitors were coming. I was convinced that Brownsville was not, not at all the thing that was coming, that it was a beginning sort of a thing. It was an appetizer. And um, the stuff I wrote talked about millions being converted in cities, and that there would be cities that would have, you know, multiple millions in those cities born again. And it would be, it would be sweeping literally uh, the globe. Now, I didn't have any theology on it biblically. I just had a good feeling in my heart, you know, kind of like start writing. <laughs> and there it is. And uh, over the next six months in that season, that was November 96 for me. But over the next six months, I read about 25 books on revival. I just started just getting everything I could to find out what this thing was that God was telling me was going to happen. And I, I read all the, the old saints, and I read about, you know, uh, just different ministries, and I found out about, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of different moves of the Spirit, and I, and I began to get acquainted with some of the philosophy and some of the things that had to be in place for revival to happen, and, and I just started getting gripped over the issue. And uh, in our ministry uh, to teenagers, we had a, uh, some experience with little movings of the Spirit of God. Now, they were massive for us because they were nothing like we'd ever seen before, but they're small in comparison to what God is going to do. And we, we had times that blew our mind, and some of those that are, were, are here that were around when we did youth ministry know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it would blow our mind how the, the way the Lord would sweep through meetings. But those times are very, very small uh, comparatively to what is coming. And, there, and so there is a big R, I like to call it the capital R, big R revival that's coming that is going to be unmatched in all human experience. You and I do not have a picture of it. We have no grid for what this thing is that's coming. But I tell you, it is so clear it is coming. It's coming in a global measure, and it will shock our entire church structure. It'll shock all of our systems. It will completely, I mean, undo all the wrong stuff and redo stuff the right way, and the kingdom is going to come in power before this thing is over, beloved. There is a day of revival coming that you and I have never considered, and it is before us. It is not something that's already happened. I looked at a friend of mine who was one of the leaders in the revival at Brownsville, and, and I, the Lord spoke to my heart clearly. I was with him last year, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, your best days are not behind you. They are in front of you. And he just began to weep. 
Because when you've been in the phenomenon, and then the phenomenon leaves, I mean, it's, it really is like uh, a, a drug addict getting off of drugs. It's that euphoric when God comes in that way. And, uh, and he, he just thought, man, you know, I don't know if it will ever get that back. I go, I promise you, your best days are in front of you. And so I um, have preached and prayed probably more about revival than any other subject. This is my first uh, series on it at IHOP. I haven't done any series on revival. I've done like a message here and a message there. But uh, I got to the place where I sounded like the boy who cried wolf. Because I just said, man, guys, I'll tell you what, I don't know about all this other stuff, but we've got to get ready because revival is coming. <laughs> we've got to prepare ourselves, embrace ourselves. There is a move of the Spirit coming, and we, we don't want to miss that. I don't know about all this other stuff, but we want to get in on the big R because it's coming. And after a while, I was like, good little buddy. Okay, let's move along, you know. And you just kind of feel like, man, no, I'm burning with this. It's real. And, um, and so um, I just want to stir us up over this issue. I, I, I want this to be so integrated into our culture and so on our grid as it relates to our eschatology because the, the, the truth of a global end time awakening that brings a harvest to the nations, the truth of that is um, fully theologically established and must be in our lens as, as it relates to us approaching the way we live in this age. Because if we are not preparing ourselves for a global end time awakening, we have, we have no picture of where this thing is going. What we'll do is we will get distracted with things like church growth and leadership development without a grid of where God is trying to bring the body of Christ. And what he's trying to do is breathe life back into us so that we are something that causes the world to stand in awe. We're a good punchline for comedians' jokes right now. But in a minute, we're going to be a fearful reality. And I, I, we must get this on our radar. For several reasons. We've got to get it on our radar, radar because it will, it will tweak the way that we live right now. We won't go running after each new little hot craze if we realize there's a global something coming that will absolutely top everything that's ever been, we will focus and fasten to that. We will integrate it into our eschatology and say, okay, this is coming before this thing ends. Let's lock on to God's global plan. And, and then secondly, when God brings a little bit of a swirl, you know, when he brings a little bit of a refreshing, when there's a little bit of a move of the Spirit, when, you know, 10,000 get saved, and, you know, and maybe our numbers go up, and a few of the places around us, their numbers go up a little bit, we won't call that the this that's to come, you know. What happens is this, we, we call every little flicker a bonfire, and every little this that God does, we call it that. But there is a big that that's to come. And if we have a mentality of that, we won't look at the this and get dissuaded and get the big head. And I think right now, we live in the place of calling all the this is that. But beloved, there is a that that's coming. It is going to mess us up good. It's going to mess us up. I mean, it will cause structures to crumble. It'll cause new structures to be erected overnight. 
It, I mean, it is, I'm not talking, let me give you an idea. I am not talking about a series of good meetings. I'm not talking about a good evangelistic crusade campaign. I'm not talking even about a guest speaker. I'm talking about the atmosphere of a region is infiltrated with the presence of the throne room and the fear of God is in the air. The name of Jesus is on everyone's lips because an awareness of God has heightened throughout a geographic region and men can't get away from God. I'm talking about something where God comes and we step back. And every, you know, store becomes a preaching pulpit. Every restaurant becomes a revival center. The traffic jam isn't because people are trying to get to work. The traffic jam is because they've been slain in the spirit on the highway and you can't get past them because God is in the place. God is in the city. No, the real thing, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm talking big, high level, big scale stuff. And, and then the, uh, the persecution isn't, uh, we don't like them and they write a bad uh, article about you. We haven't even gotten the bad articles hardly yet. They're coming. Don't freak out when they, tell, when they start writing bad articles about me. It'll, they're coming. But the bad article isn't the thing. They, they want to kill you. Because they're demonized and the only way to stem the tide of the break-in of God, what happens is in the atmosphere, the stronghold has been shifted, it's been broken, the principality has been broken, and the only way the enemy can stem that thing is by starting to martyr the saints. When you see martyrdom, it's a sure sign that the stronghold is broken. Because he can no longer influence from the air, he's got to just try to stop it on the ground. Hmm. Y'all liked it when it was God causing the traffic jam. Let's get it real though. Let's get the real biblical version. Let's not get the, you know, get all glorified and hop around and do the charismatic hop revival. Coming to our land. Yeah, Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. Let's not let's get the real thing. Let's get the real thing. So I begin, to, I begin to get into reading all these historical accounts and I tell you, some of them just absolutely ate my lunch. I mean, just ate me up. Because you read the, the little guy who prayed and God came and it shocked his nation. You know, I'm thinking, there's two I'm going to tell you about. I'm thinking about the Hebrides revival. It took place in uh, 1949. 1949 to 1952 in the islands off the coast of Scotland. The Hebrides Islands. It started in the Isle of Lewis and Harris. They're in the, the northwest. And what happened really was this. There was a small group that had begun to pray for a break-in of God. They'd lost their young people. They'd completely lost their young people to the bars and to the dancing hall. And the young people were not coming to church. They completely lost them. And so a small group of pastors began to pray. And there were these two little uh, sisters. Uh, gosh, their names are slipping me. One of the ladies' names is Christine. I can't think of the other one. 86 and 88. One was blind. It's two little Annas. 
and they be, they were praying daily. And they had a word from the Lord that, that this minister was supposed to come, Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell was set up to minister at one of the large conventions in the United Kingdom called the Keswick Convention. It was, it's the who's who convention in the United Kingdom. It had been for years. And, and Duncan Campbell, uh, the story goes that he was there at the Keswick Convention and the Lord spoke to him and said, you are not supposed to be here. You are supposed to go to the Hebrides uh, Islands. And he had gotten an invitation, but he had turned it down to go to the Hebrides. So Campbell gets, he gets pierced by the Lord and he goes to the Hebrides Islands. He gets off the boat and the story goes this way. He, he walks up on a man and he says, is there a church here? And he said, well, well yes, we have churches. And he, and he said, who are you? And, and he said, I'm Duncan Campbell. I, I'm supposed to be at a church here. He goes, yes, Mr. Campbell, we've been expecting you. You've been what? Well, the Lord told us you were coming even though you said you weren't. And we've already put up signs for the meeting. The first one's tonight. So they usher him into the meeting. And, and you know, it's two, three, four hundred people. And uh, I, I love how the story goes because the, uh, the two little intercessor ladies, one of the sisters goes up to Duncan Campbell and goes, Mr. Campbell, are you, uh, do you fear, the, no, 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 no. Are you in right standing with the Lord? He goes, well, I fear God. She goes, that will do. <laughs> I love it. First meeting, a couple hundred people show up. Nothing happens. And one of the young men stops, stops uh, Duncan Campbell. He, they're, they're halfway, he's heading towards the door. He's heading on his way out. He stops Duncan Campbell in the, in the, in the aisle there. And he said, this isn't what God said was going to happen. God said he was going to break in with revival. And he opens up to Isaiah 44, verse 3, and he says, God! And the young man begins to scream at the top of his lungs. God, you said you would pour your spirit on on the thirsty. You said you would pour your water on the dry ground. God, you said you would break in with revival, and you're not doing it. What about the glory of your name? What about making good on what you said, God? And the young man goes into a trance. He freezes. And Duncan Campbell's looking at this young man, and he's frozen in a trance. He prays this gut-wrenching prayer, and he freezes. And Duncan Campbell's there. He's looking at him, and he said, when when that young man prayed that prayer, something shifted, something broke. So they're going to go and get a doctor or something. They're going to help the young guy. He's in a frozen trance in the spirit of the Lord. I don't know how much time has transpired. So he goes and he gets one of the, the ushers, one of the deacons or whatever. He says, we've got to get help. We've got to get a doctor. This guy's frozen. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, we have, a, we have a different problem. 700 people have gathered outside the church and they, they're ready for a meeting tonight. He says, we didn't advertise. No, we didn't. But they're saying God has drawn them for a meeting. And so they end up having a meeting that night and the thing erupts. And over a three-year period of time, the, the uh, power of God infiltrates. They, the stories are so phenomenal. The people would get, they, they were in such a non-religious state, they would get pierced by the Lord in their homes, out in the public, at their jobs. And rather than going to the church because they're not thinking religiously, they would go to the police officer. And turn themselves in. Because they're convicted. 
They say, oh, we, I don't know of any crime really, but I just, I've done something wrong. And they said they would drive home at two and three in the morning and they would hear cries and wails coming out from the, 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 uh, the uh, fields where people were out in the middle of the night gripped in intercessions and groaning crying out for God at 2 and 3 in the morning and the meetings would continue you know multiple times a day and even through the night and it spread all over those islands there in, in, in the Hebrides that's 1949 that's not very long ago my other favorite one though my, my absolute favorite one is uh, the Welsh Revival in 1904 a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. He was 26 years old. Guess how old I was when I first read about Evan Roberts? 26. I was like, oh, yeah. 26. He had a handful of teenagers with him. And uh, he was uh, going, to, going to school to be a minister. And he was so gripped. One day he got gripped in the middle of class. He falls out of his chair, wailing on the floor in his classroom. And they're all looking at him like, what's wrong with you? And they, they pick him up and they usher him out and they get him examined. And they, they diagnose Evan Roberts with religious mania. <laughs> so they send him home. He's not fit to go to school. So Evan Roberts talks his pastor at Mariah Chapel in Luffer, Wales, talks him into doing a meeting. He says, hey, let me do a meeting. I got something to say. He does that first meeting and 18 people show up. And something shifts. And within two weeks, hundreds are showing up. He wouldn't let him do a normal Sunday morning meeting. He made him do it like a night meeting, like on a Sunday night where nobody was supposed to come. 18 show up. And in two weeks, hundreds are showing up. And in six months, 50,000 are converted. In 12 months, 100,000 are converted. In 18 months, they do a census and 100% of the population of Wales identifies themselves as born-again Christians. The power of God absolutely runs rampage over the entire country. It's a big mining area where Evan Roberts is from. And they were so, you know... um, Godless and, and sinful. They had trained their horses that worked in the mines with them. They trained them with, you know, foul language and cuss words and, and expletives. Well, when all the miners started to get born again, the horses didn't know how to follow their instruction because they had to they quit cussing. They had to retrain their horses. In certain towns, they shut down, they completely shut down the jails. They didn't need them. They didn't have any crime in certain areas. The power of God broke out on that place. And Evan Roberts, under the power of God, he would go sometimes three days and three nights without eating or sleeping. Power of God literally just coursing through him. And many times he wouldn't even get up and and preach. They would just be in there. He had five uh, young girls that would sing with him. His brother was in there. And sometimes they would begin to sing and they would, as they were singing the song of the Lord, the power of God would hit the place and people would spontaneously stand up and begin to confess sins. And Evan Roberts, he would hardly, he would ne- almost never allow people to take a picture of him. They had so little information on him. He wouldn't do interviews. He ne- never wanted to make it about himself. And I thought, and he did it with, he did it with some teenagers. I thought, man, if, 
Evan Roberts, the religious maniac, can pop it in Wales, surely some little dork can get a hold of God here. And it was Frank Bartleman from the Azusa Street Revival that was corresponding with Evan Roberts. He was writing Evan Roberts saying, what do we do? He goes, you pray. You intercede until God comes. And so Evan Roberts would pray. He'd say, God, bend us. Bend us, O Lord. Bend us, O Lord. Bend us to thine will. And the Lord bent. And so Bartleman, the intercessor for the Azusa Street Revival, corresponded with Roberts. And there was a, there was a uh, I believe, a transfer that took place there and, and Bartleman is instrumental in popping the Azusa Street Revival, which is a great Pentecostal revival. And now, all over the globe, the fastest growing church movement still finds itself rooted in the, in the Pentecostal revival that broke out in uh, Los Angeles on Azusa Street in 1906. These realities, beloved, this is God. This is how God moves. And we need to set our sights on something that's heavenly rather than something that's earthly. If we can manufacture and manipulate it, to be quite honest with you, I don't want it. But if it's something that the Lord wants to do, that God wants to drop, upon a, a, a people, not just us though. I, I, I don't want it just on us. I mean, really, 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 really don't want it just on us. I want something that's on a city. I mean, that shocks a city. I mean, something that just really messes, just glory, a glorious mess, messes up the system. I mean, messes up the economic se- sectors, messes up the, the uh, educational sectors, Political things go sideways because people are getting rocked by God. See, I don't know if you've ever been in a place in meetings where God was more real than the people around you. You're more aware of God than anything else. Everyone else is just sort of a a side note because God is so big in the place. See, I'm convinced if he can do that If he can do that in a meeting, he can do that in a city. What's 50 miles to the God who's infinite? 50 miles or 50 feet, it's no difference for him. If he can infiltrate a room, he can infiltrate a whole city. When they, the editor of 
Great Britain's leading paper at that time, the Pall Mall Gazette. He was going to do a uh, he was going to do a, an article on the revival in Wales, and he he took several trains and he and he gets off in Luffer, Wales, and he gets off the train and he says, "Tell me." Uh, where do I go that I can be a part of the revival meetings? And the man he asked answered back. He said, well, what, what you need to do is go down this street and then take a left. And as you walk, you'll begin to feel it. You'll begin to feel it. And in his article that he wrote about the Welsh revival, his, uh, his quote They said, so what do you think, sir, of the revival in Wales? And he said, it has nothing to do with what I think about the revival. The right question is, what does the revival think about me? (laughs) And he begins to describe the presence and the power of God as if it's a, you know, like a haunted house kind of a feel. You know, this ominous presence of the fear of the Lord has an opinion This is real. God's bring, he's going to bring something, beloved. I'm so struck over these thoughts. I'm not going to be able to get to my message. I'll tell you about the Cane Ridge Revival. eighteen o one Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Barton Stone was the founder of the Christian denomination. Disciples or brethren, which one is it, honey? Disciples. They get together and they're going to rent a, uh, they don't even rent it, they just go out into this area where there's, no one lives. This is where the idea of camp meeting was coined. And they, they begin to have uh, meetings out in this grassy area that's far away from where the people live and the people come out and begin to camp there in in the Cane Ridge area there in Kentucky and 25,000 come out to this camp meeting they pack tents and wagons and bring out supplies and food and they just begin to live out there and the power of God descends and it is the, to read the revival accounts, it will blow your mind. The, uh, the, uh, some of the local newspapers are going to come out there to mock it. And I, this one is just one of my favorites. The young man begins to describe how the power of God would hit the women. And they would have their long, long hair. And they'd have it all rolled up in a bun. The power of God would hit them. And they would begin to shake so violently. He said he could, he, their hair would shake right out of the bun. And he could hear their hair Um, snapping in the wind like a whip. And and this this man is writing all these mockeries down. He's just saying, this is the most foolish thing I've ever seen. These people are acting, you know, absolutely, you know, possessed of something from another place. And then he said, he looked, and there would be six or seven different ministers around this large campground area preaching all at the same time. Barton Stone and Peter Cartwright and all these others. And they're, proclam- uh, they're proclaiming. And he said he's watching this man preach. And as the man is preaching, the word of the Lord is hitting so powerfully. 
He said it looked like a battery of rifles had been opened up on the crowd because the words were coming out and it was piercing people and they were getting knocked to the ground at the preaching. The gospel is the power of God. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And while they would preach, it would come with such authority and force, it would literally knock people to the ground. He said he saw as if a battery of rifles had been opened on the congregation and 100 to 200 falling under the power, nobody touching them, of the word of the Lord being proclaimed all at once. And he said, as, he, as you saw that happen, he's writing, he grabbed his pen and his paper and his bag and he began to run the other direction. And he talked about this feeling, this, uh, this ominous power and presence coming behind him and literally overtaking him as the fear of the Lord overtook him and he crumbled to the ground crying to God for repentance. Acts 3, let's just look at that. This is in the throes of the Jerusalem revival. The day of Pentecost hits and it hit, when the spirit of the Lord hit those 120 in that upper room, it hit them so hard that the people in the town heard a mighty rushing wind. They're in the room, but outside they're hearing a sound. And so the fire of God comes and it literally appears on top of their heads of the 120 that are gathered there. Power hits, the wind of God is released and fire literally appears upon people. That's what the Bible says. Tongues of fire appeared upon people. See this word tongues, we get thrown off because we go Acts 2, they're speaking in tongues. No, tongues is talking about a, a lick of fire. It's talking about a piece of fire. It landed on people. And their heads have got fire upon them. And they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and they begin to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And it's such a power manifestation that all those in the surrounding area hear the sound. And these ones that get filled with the Spirit of God, they come out of the room and they are so impacted by the power of God, they are not standing and talking normally. They're staggering because the power has hit them so intensely. It's 9 a.m. in the morning and they're staggering because they've been hit with fire. And the, the people begin to mock and, and they're, they're, they don't understand the people. Some are, are confused. Some are, are dismayed. Some are convicted. And they begin to mock. They said they're drunk with wine. Peter begins to prophesy, begins to proclaim. These are not drunk as you suppose. For it's only the 
9 a.m. in the morning. This is the fire of God that's landed on them. They're filled with the power of the Lord. And he begins to proclaim this man, Peter, who had bowed to a serving girl in fear and shame just 50 days earlier, he stands and he proclaims, he goes, you who crucified the Lord of glory. He, and he calls him to repentance. He has poured this out, which you see, and begins to quote David. And he says that Jesus is God's appointed Messiah. And he proclaims the gospel right there in the same city where he had just 50 days earlier bowed and, and cussed in front of a servant girl to act like he didn't know Jesus. So this thing is sweeping thousands in. And he says this in verse 19. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. They may be destroyed. That times of refreshing. Let me just run through this real quick. Repent. He goes, change your mind. Change the way you think. He goes, the kingdom is not what you think. He's preaching the same message of John the Baptist and Jesus. Repent. Change your mind. He goes, and be converted. The converting is a return. Change the way you think about God and turn towards God. That your sins can be blotted out. God will proclaim you righteous by, an, by just an act of faith. That times, he goes, that times, that word is in Greek, it's kairos. That appointed times. That kairos means appointed times. The idea is this. God has a calendar. He has a calendar and he has a plan. And in his calendar, he has set up seasons. He has set up durations of time. He goes, if you'll repent and turn to God, he goes, there will be these seasons that God has set up. They will come. And they are appointed times in the calendar of heaven of refreshing. But that refreshing word is not... We think of refreshing as a cold drink of water on a hot day. That word is a Greek word, anapsuxis. A-N-A-P-S-U-X-I-S. Anapsuxis. That literally means breath to one who is dead. A recovery of breath. Not somebody who just sort of gets knocked out of breath. Someone who has no breath. <laughs> filled with breath. What's God saying? God says there are appointed seasons in his calendar that he has set up and already has in mind he already has the dates. He already has the plan. He already has it in his mind for these appointed seasons. And these appointed seasons are for him to release breath 
into the dead parts. Breath into the areas that are not alive any longer. That word refreshing, anapsuxis, it's the closest word we have in the New Testament to revival. See, revival is when God breathes life into the church. When we who are dead, when we repent and we return and God releases upon us the wind of His Spirit to bring that which is dead alive again. It's not just a nice little refreshing moment. It's the dead bones getting alive, sinews being formed, joints being formed, flesh being formed, and wind being put into those things, those things coming alive. That's that word. God has this thing in mind to do. He's got these seasons. He wants to break in with them. I tell you, I believe there'll be multiple swirls of anapsuxis. We'll experience multiple seasons when God will release wind upon us. But there is one coming. There is a revival coming. There is an anaxusis coming that is going to sweep the globe. Revelations 5, 8, and 9 and Revelations 7, 9, if you're taking notes. It gives us the breadth of this revival that's to come. It says, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And it gives us the time frame in 7, 9, that they, it's actually in 14 of chapter 7, Revelation, that they come out of the end of the age. That there is a host from every tribe and tongue, people and nation that are going to get born again on the planet right at the end of the age. That's the big one. See, we're not talking about church growth. Will the church grow? Ridiculously. But it's not going to be the way you think. Let me just be real about this. It's not going to grow the way you think. It's not going to be, okay, well, we've got 100, and now all these new people got saved, so now we've got 500. No, really, it'll be like this. you got got 100. This thing is released. 50 of those hate what it looks like. And a bunch come in and a bunch go out and it's holy chaos. It's orderly in God's mind, but offensive to men. He uses the wisdom of heaven in foolishness and he confounds us. The activity of revival is to expose our hearts. We kind of want to keep our hands on the steering wheel and keep it tidy keep it on this side of the railroad tracks and keep it presentable to people but every time historically God's ever come in revival it's never been something that was neat for the masses it was something that you had to humble yourself to receive I mean Azusa Street is led by a black man who's blind in one eye and he spends most of his times in the meetings with his head in a crate That's how he led the meetings. William Seymour would sit in the meetings at Azusa Street with his head 
in a crate. And the power of God would hit, and people would be slain in the spirit, vibrating and rolling all over the floor, and you'd have black, white, Hispanic, Asian, and they'd all be together, and all the racial people got so offended because it was 1906. Guess what? That wasn't cool in 1906. Jesus don't care. Really doesn't care. He said, I will take your racism and shove it right in your face. I mean, that's what he, basically what he did. It's never been what was popular or comfortable. And there is a, there is a global awakening. See, we need revival in the church, but we need reformation in the earth. We need the church that is dead to get new wind breathed into it. So it's no longer a social club, so no longer about some kind of new endeavor, no longer about some kind of church growth strategy, no longer about some special speaker. It's about God in the house. I tell you, there's a day coming when God will come in and the ministers won't be able to stand to minister. And that's what's going to happen in the church. But when it hits the world... That's reformation. When it hits the social sector and the political sector and the education sector, when it hits the entertainment sector, when, see, high school has to stop because God has invaded the school, when the college campus can't have classes, but it's not the Christian school, it's the secular one. When a place like Harvard gets dosed with the Spirit of God so bad that they can't even have class because everybody that tries to walk in the philosophy room falls out. And God makes a statement about creationism. He's got so many ways he can do it. I tell you, it is going to be disruptive. There's a big R. We'll have bunches of swirls. We'll have little inbreakings. Oh, I love the inbreakings. But there is a power going to be released on the planet that is so far superior than any of the little swirls we've seen. It will dwarf a Brownsville. It will dwarf a Cane Ridge. It will dwarf a Hebrides. It will dwarf a, a Welsh Revival. Something is going to be released that is going to sweep the Gentile nations all across the globe. It's a global harvest of souls, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. There will be a recovery of breath in the church, and there will be a reformation in the earth. And our structures and our power bases will all get shocked. The Lord is testifying to it right now with a sense of his presence as I'm speaking. This is a real day in front of us, beloved. Good, let's just stand. Don't have to hype a thing. He is so interested in this issue, and not so we can have cool meetings. He's got such a bigger agenda. You know what's crazy? See, our version of revival in this age is going to be so colossal compared to everything we've ever seen, but the whole next age, the whole next age is one 
It's a 1,000 year long revival meeting where Jesus is leading it. And it's so powerful. The deserts in the Middle East that are full of hot sun and sand turn into rivers. I mean, he turns deserts into streams. It's going to be so powerful, he's going to heal the land. You know that whole Second Chronicles 7.14? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive and heal your land. <laughs> he's really going to heal the land. We've got a thousand-year revival meeting coming in the next age. <laughs> I'll do a whole meeting on that, I guess. Sound the alarm, Lord. recovery of breath a repentance God we turn from our preferences we turn from our pet sins we turn from every other lover we change our minds about what we think is important we quit affiliating with our political party we quit affiliating with our economic agenda we begin to affiliate with the kingdom and the one king his name is Jesus We quit affiliating with our denomination. And our goal, our success plan, our strategy. God, I know we need strategy. I know you love strategy. God, give us heaven's strategy. Who leads like you? God, that we would repent. We'd be converted. We'd turn. She would release times, those dates in your calendar, times of anapsuxis, recovery of breath, life to the dead, life to the dead, life to the dead, life to the dead, God, life to the dead, God.